Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about affiliate marketing. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your pilots by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com Firearm Instructor Network. ConcealedCarry.com is always looking for quality firearm instructors across the country to join the network. As a network instructor, you can take advantage of ConcealedCarry.com's advertising platform to fill your classes. Visit class.concealedcarry.com and click on instructor to learn more and see if it would be a good fit for you. Again, visit class.concealedcarry.com for more information. Today, we are joined by Jacob Paulson from concealedcarry.com. Welcome, Jacob. Thanks for making time for us tonight. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been on the uh, podcast before talking about uh, a lot of different marketing uh, type of uh, uh, topics. And tonight's right up your alley in affiliate marketing because I know being a new firearm instructor many years ago, uh, I thought, wow, this would be really great. So I'm really interested in hearing what you've got to uh, say tonight about uh, affiliate marketing. Yeah, I, I don't have the best reputation, it seems, as a firearm instructor, but when it comes to marketing, I, I tend to get calls. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, for those who don't know, affiliate marketing at its base is 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 just when you refer customers to another company, that person buys something and you get paid a commission or a referral fee for having referred that customer. That, that's really all affiliate marketing is, you know, broad stroke. Mm-hmm. And a lot, I mean, probably the most famous that I'm at least aware of, although I've never, never made a dime off of it, is uh, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Amazon's got a very large uh, affiliate presence, and probably one of the the worst, but yet, of course, best known affiliate programs out there. Uh, but yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> they have a really bad program, uh, but yet it's it's one worth mentioning. And I I think we're going to do another episode. Uh, after this one, where we'll talk about some of the specific affiliate programs themselves and, and ones mm-hmm. worth looking at. But uh, yeah, Amazon is, is one that definitely a lot of people know about. We, we've touched on, you know, affiliate marketing is, but where's the difficulties in, you know, setting it up and doing things like that? Because me personally, you know, I've made some money off of different affiliate programs, but I've never found it being a uh, large source of income or even one that um, does much more than buy me lunch. Um, sure. you know, every, every couple months. Yeah. Uh, but, but yet it has great potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you, yeah, we just got done doing our 2020 books uh, here at consultcare.com and we brought in over six figures of revenue uh, as affiliates. And we also paid out over six figures uh, to our affiliates. So it's a big part, uh, relatively, you know, speaking of, of our business. I think there's a lot of challenges uh, that, that come with affiliate marketing, but probably the biggest challenge is expectation management because it's sold in such a way that leads someone down a road that, that they're going to have false expectations. What happens, I think, is a lot of instructors, they say, you know, I obviously need to increase my 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 revenue per customer, per student in this case, because, you know, I have a relatively fixed amount of money I can get from somebody, especially if I have a limited class offering. If I only teach one class, then well, that's a one and done. You know, you're not getting more money from that person. Certainly they mm-hmm. can, you know, word of mouth, they might bring you more students, but pretty one and done. Now, if you have two or three classes, then hopefully you're getting them back for additional classes. And that should be your primary focus in your marketing efforts is to get someone to come back and, and consume additional classes from you. 
Um, but you look at an affiliate opportunity and you find out, oh, you know, X company will pay me uh, at blank percentage or fee if I send them customers. That sounds great. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to make tons of money because, of course, all my students are going to buy this and it's going to be fantastic and amazing. And of course, you do something, some amount of effort, you, you know, you talk about it in a class or you give someone a handout or it goes out in an email or you post it on your Facebook page. And then you sit there and stare at the stats and refresh the page. And yep, sure enough, you made no money. And it's pretty disheartening. And, you know, then you kind of move on and say, well, I guess that, you know, doesn't really work. And so I think that's the, the number one challenge is that, you know, left without any direction and input, a what you're likely to go do is likely to not be effective. And of course, then it's going to be disheartening and you're just going to give up. I haven't completely given up yet, but that describes a lot of my frustrations with affiliate marketing programs. <laughs> so I'm all, I'm all ears, uh, Jacob, as far as how, how, how can you go along and make it, um, profitable for your time? Because again, you know, when I teach, you know, I, compare the amount of time I, I spend teaching, you know, I set the price for that and the amount of time that I put into, um, you know, the affiliate program, you know, I'd like to see a, you know, similar, you know, kind of return for at least my time. So I'm not sitting there thinking I'm working for pennies. Mm -hmm. well, let me start by managing some, some expectations like math. So sorry for all you listeners who hate math, math is a part of life, especially if you want to make money. So here's, here's some math you need to understand. The average conversion rate on a really good offer. So in other words, if I can get 100 people to go to a web page where I'm trying to convince them to buy a product, a really good conversion rate would be 5%, right? Five out of 100 people buy on that page. That would be really good. Uh, and, and most websites don't do that well, right? More likely your conversion rate is less than 1%. But let's just say for fun, it's it's 2%, you know, just to throw out a number, 2%. And 2% would be really like, I would be happy by the way, if all of my offers had a 2% conversion rate, I'd be thrilled. So let's just, let's just assume a 2% conversion rate. So that means if I get a hundred people to go to a webpage, you know, they, they saw some ad, some, what I would call ad asset. They saw some sort of ad asset. They went to a webpage to learn more. If we can get 2% to buy, we're doing pretty good. So let's, let's back it up a step then. 2% of the people who land on the page buy. Well, what percent of people go to the page to begin with? That's another question worth asking. Well, and obviously, it's going to vary depending on the environment. Um, for example, if you post something on a Facebook page and you have a thousand people see it on that Facebook page and say, huh, actually, let's, let's stick with the number 100. You see, I have 100 people see it. What percentage of people click on it? Surely not 100%. If you think that you know 100 people are going to see it and that's going to lead to 100 people clicking, that would be ridiculous. In fact, a really good click-through rate would be somewhere around 5 to 10%. So let's just say 10% for fun. So let's say you post something on Facebook, 100 people see it. So of the 100 people that see it, 10 click on it. Great. So we, now we got 10 people to my page. Well, what's our conversion rate? We already said it's 2%. What's 2% of 10? Less than one. So our numbers start getting pretty tough. Now think about it this way. In order to get 100 people to see something on a Facebook post, how many people do you got to have on your Facebook page following you? Mm -hmm. Surely more than 100. You can't possibly think that if you got 100 followers that and you put, put something on the page that every one of your followers is going to see that. That'd be ridiculous. Uh, much more likely your, your reach, the number of people who are going to see it, is going to be significantly less than that. Probably significantly less than 5%. So let's just do this fun, fun math. Let's say I have 100,000 people following my Facebook page. 
If I can get 5% to see something I post, what's 5% of 100,000? 5,000. Oh, you're, I'm glad. I was, grabbing my, <laughs> I was reaching for my calculator. So that's 5,000. Uh, I said I was good at math. I didn't mean actual arithmetic. That, that, that requires a calculator. So that's 5,000 people see it. Now, if 5,000 people see it, and we said maybe we can get 10% to click, what's 10% of 5,000? 500. 500. So now we get 500 to the page. We can get 2% conversion rate. How many people buy? 10. 10. So you started with 100,000 people on your Facebook page and you got 10, bot, 10, 10 orders placed. And now you earn commission on 10 referrals. So this, these expectations are important because that's not, a, I mean, 100,000 people is a pretty good Facebook following, right? Like the, and, and, and I was running these numbers on pretty good numbers. Like if we can get 5% of our followers to see something and 10% to click and 2% to buy, we're doing good. Those mm-hmm. would be really good numbers. Obviously, averages are going to be lower than that. So I think it's important to understand why it's frustrating for people, why the average fire instructor can't really figure out how to make money with this because the average fire instructor doesn't have 100,000 people on Facebook. That's why. Now, that might before everyone like stops listening and says, well, thanks, Jacob, for telling us why we should not be doing affiliate marketing, like stick around. Um, there's, there's more to this. There are, there are ways to make this less painful. But I do think it's important to understand the numbers. Mm-hmm. That I think that we get disheartened because we think that I'm going to have a classroom of 15 students and I'm going to say, this holster is amazing. It's mind-blowingly better than sliced bread and you should go buy it. And I then you know wait seven days and wonder why I didn't get any affiliate signups. Well, it's because my, my market is way too low. 15 people? 15 people? I mean, if I can get 5% of them to, to click... That's not very many. That's like less than one. Less than one person might click, mm-hmm. right? And of that less than one person, you know, two percent chance they'll buy. So my odds of getting anything from that class of fifteen is pretty much zero. It's the, the odds are so low to zero percent, it's ridiculous. And that's why we get disheartened. So now I've given all the bad news, Rob, uh, which is the math. Mm-hmm. So let me now try and turn this around. So the first and obvious takeaway here is this is a numbers game. If you want to generate revenue as an affiliate, you need to figure out the numbers. That's that's step one. And by numbers, I simply mean size of audience. This means that having a Facebook page of 460 people um, and having a blog on your website that gets an average of 300 hits a month and you know interfacing face-to-face with 40 students a month uh, is not going to do much at all. You're just, if that's, if that's your audience size, then it's not, you know, it's not very, not, not helping you much, but here, here's an interesting insight. And, and I, a mentor told me this many years ago, and I think it was really valuable. They said to me, Jacob, how often do you send an email to your list? And at that time I was sending an email to my email list once a week. I sent like a weekly newsletter. And I said, once a week. And he said, okay, I have an email list that I send an email to once a week as well, Jacob. Um, he said, how, how long does it take you to put together an email to send to your list? And I said, oh, I don't know. It takes me about 30 minutes. He said, okay, me too. It takes me about 30 minutes to send my email as well. So we both put in 30 minutes a week to send an email, right? I said, yes. And he said, okay, so we're both putting in the exact same amount of time and effort. Agreed? And I'm like, if you say so, like 30 minutes, that's my time. He said, great. Well, how big is your email list? And at the time, I don't know, it was probably about 2,500 people. I said, you know, 2,500. He said, great. Mine's 250,000. So we both put in the exact same amount of time and effort, but who's making more money when we ask people to take action in our email? 
He is Clearly. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Right. Like a hundred times more. So it, it was interesting though, the way he, he, he made me think about it. I mean, obviously a person with larger reach makes more money, but what you don't stop to realize is that the time investment's the same. He, he didn't have to invest more energy to, to get the ROI. He puts the same amount of time in every week to send his email as I was. He just happened to reach more people. So the time and energy was spent in building the asset. So I think that we, what we have to decide is, well, how do we build the asset? And I think that the first thing you have to just understand is this is a chicken and egg game. Let me explain what I mean by chicken and egg game. How many people are going to open your emails if you send them an email once a year? Zero. No one's going to read it. Your open rate is going to be horrible. How many, what percentage of the people on your Facebook page that you have for your firearm instruction business, what percentage of those people are going to see your Facebook post if you post to that page once a month? Less than 1% because the Facebook algorithm has determined that these people don't care about your content because they never have an opportunity to engage with your content because you never put anything there. And when you do, it may not perform well. And so you hit the bottom of the algorithm. So your, your inconsistency is prohibiting your ability to get results. That's, step, that's the first thing to understand is that, that because you don't see an immediate ROI, you're discouraged. And because you're discouraged, you don't do the thing necessary to build the audience that's necessary. You have a chicken and egg problem and you're unwilling to invest the time and consistent effort up front to get to a point where it will pay off later. And so that's the, the first big message here. Uh, I have an instructor who's who's in my network. I probably shouldn't share his name because I didn't ask his permission. But uh, he sends an email every single week to his email list. His email list today is right around 1,000 people. Now, he's been doing this for years. And I said, well, when, when you sent your first email, like that first week, how many people were on your email list? And he said, 12. I was like, wow, okay. So today he's got a little over 1,000 people on his email list that's not very good growth for the couple of years he's been doing it, but you know he, he's limited in, in what he knows to do to drive his email list. But the point is he, his consistency, his effort of still sending an email every week, what do you think that does for his open rate? His open rate's killer. It's over 50%. His, his, the people on his email list, when they get that email, they open it because mm-hmm. they know it's coming. It's consistent. It's always valuable. It's always good. So as his list scales in size, now up to a thousand something people, his open rate is really, really high. And by the way, in case for those who are wondering about open rates, any anything over about 15% is a really good open rate on email. And the larger your list, obviously, the more difficult it is to have a high open rate. But it, over 50% is ridiculous good. Like that's, I would, man, I would be yeah, that, paying that someone would, else to that have would this be, conversation with you if I had a 50% open rate. Yeah, that sounds like uh, really good. And, you know, as you said, the engaging content, engaging them, um, you know, it, primes them and they're more likely looking forward to that email every, every week and that's yeah. where he can um you know, s- same time and effort like you were just talking about putting in there so as his list grows um the then, roi does too yeah the roi goes with it and guess yeah. what he's doing the same amount of time every mm-hmm. every week to send send it out but the roi it keeps growing because of the you know the list expands exactly like do you yeah, he doesn't put any additional effort in than he did, you know, you know, a year ago when he was sending an email to twelve people. <laughs> he he just makes more. It, he just, it's just a better ROI when he does. So that's the first thing is you got to understand this is a long haul. This affiliate marketing has great opportunity, but it's not going to be an immediate ROI because you have to build an audience. 
The second lesson is that the best place to build that audience is email, text message, or push notification. It's something that that the, the, the receiver on the receiving end gets alerted when you do it. There are other things too, like if, if you can convince people to uh, not just like your Facebook page, but also turn on notifications. Um, if you can get someone to subscribe to and turn on notifications to your YouTube channel, same kind of concept. But, but the best channel for you to go work on and build your audience is going to be a channel where the, the recipient is going to get notified when you send out the, the message, when you, when you push out the asset. So email is good because people get an email in an inbox. Uh, text messages are really good, uh, but that's arguably more complex technology-wise and more expensive to send out mass text messages. Uh, and you obviously have less room to work with. Social media is going to be really hard because people don't get alerted. I mean, I, I don't know how many Facebook pages I like, but my phone doesn't constantly tell me every single time one of them posts mm-hmm. only a Facebook to text that I really engage with that content a ton. Then they maybe start to push some of that into my notifications. Or if I turn on alerts, right? If I go to a page and say, notify me when anybody posts to this page. Uh, but that's generally not going to be your best ROI. Um, blogging is probably not your best ROI because people don't subscribe to blogs anymore. That's not a thing. You know, hasn't been a thing for about a decade. So no one's subscribed to your blog. When you blog, no one, no one's going to just, oh, Rob posted a new blog post. I should go read it. That's not happening. Now, it might happen if you pair it with something else. If every time I blog, I send it out via email, right? Then, then I'm, I'm, I'm checking both boxes. Um, and by the way, I actually heartily do believe in blogging for other reasons, just not affiliate marketing uh, directly. It tends to be a poor uh, use, of, use of time and energy. Uh, I'll get one other one that's worth mentioning is uh, banner ads. I'll see a lot of a, a lot of fireman instructors who they'll start putting banners on their website for some affiliate offers. Uh, I'm kind of you know whatever. Like I don't see any bad side of that, but it, it's as good as the amount of traffic you're getting to your website. And sometimes it detracts from getting signups. If you if someone comes to your website and they're interested in taking a class, and they see a banner ad for ammo or sweet AR15 from whoever, or sign up for this now, uh, or cool holster. And they click on that. They might be off thinking about getting a holster when they should be signing up for class on your site. So it may or may not be the most effective means for a firearm instructor uh, to drive. Now, maybe you only have banners that only show up uh, on blog posts, you know, when people are reading the blog and not on other pages of the site. You know, that might be a way you balance that. Um, But it's something to consider. So I strongly feel that, you know, lesson one is this is a long-term game. Don't get discouraged. Consistency is going to be key because it's all about engagement. And lesson number two is your best audience place to build is a place where someone gets alerted. And email is going to be the easiest by far. And with a little work, you can uh, fancy up the email or you know make sure it has a hot, hot subject line so that they're more uh, apt to go along and open that uh, subject and read whatever you have in, inside of it. Yeah. I mean, Rob, you and I have had long conversations about headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have less than a thousand email addresses that you can reach out to, just go use MailChimp. MailChimp is free up to a certain limit and it's fine for people with small li- lists. MailChimp is not designed for big companies like, like mine that we're emailing hundreds of thousands of people. Um, but MailChimp is ideal probably for the average fire instructor. Cause it's, it's free to cheap when you have a small list. Um, it, they have all the good reporting tools and tracking and stuff. So I would, I would probably encourage people to go use MailChimp, but, uh, yes, for sure. Lesson number three, probably Rob should be what you just said, which is headlines are everything, everything. 
Um, <laughs> a mentor once told me, he's like, if there were no rules and you couldn't get in trouble and you didn't care about your brand reputation, what's the number one best headline you could possibly write that's guaranteed to get the highest subject line? And this was probably about 2015. I was having this conversation and I said, well, for my audience, it's probably Hillary finally did it. Your guns are going away. <laughs> you know, something like mm-hmm. that. And, I, and he's like, okay, so can, can we write that? And I'm like, no, we can't write that. It's not true. It's <laughs> like, I'll get in trouble. Like we can't. And he's like, all right, well, what's the closest we can get to that that would be true and you'd be okay with? Mm-hmm. That was a really interesting exercise for me. Um, and, and later you're going to ask me to recommend a book, I think, Rob, because that's the thing you do. So this would be a good time for me to mention a book. Probably a really good book for people who want to learn to write better headlines is a book called Made to Stick. Made to Stick by uh, some brothers, Heath, Dan and Chip Heath, I think, are the names of the authors. Made to Stick. And it kind of has a a formula, S-U-S-S-E-C or S-U-C-C-E-S. Yeah, success. I don't know how to spell. But it kind of has this algorithm, or not algorithm, but an acronym to make it easy to remember how to make a message that's sticky, that people remember and they notice. Um, So sometimes a headline is shock provoking. Sometimes it's curious driven. um, Sometimes it's, uh, you know, outrageous. Sometimes it's, I don't know. There's lots of different ways to write a good headline, but, but yeah, if you're sending out an email or you're posting something on Facebook or you're writing a blog post or you're publishing a podcast episode, figuring out the headline that's really good is important. A lot of people hate clickbait, clickbait, bait, Rob, and, and we could do a whole episode about headlines sometime. That would be really fun for me. But you got to understand that the clickbait is only bad and negative and not cool because it doesn't actually deliver on the promise, right? If the if the if I see an image at the bottom of USA Today and it's got some hot babe on it, and the headline says, you know, uh, ten actresses that you know you'll never believe what they look like today, and I click on it and it's giving me something else and that's really not delivering on the promise, that's clickbait. Right, that's bullcrap. Mm-hmm. That's that's unacceptable and it's unethical. It's immoral right. in advertising. But if if the headline delivers, there's nothing wrong with it. Like you can go write the most ridiculous, awesome, you know, attention grabbing headline you want as long as you deliver on what you said. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. So, for example, we just sent an email out to our email list uh, on Thursday, and I think the subject line was, "Are you shooting nine mm?" Question mark. And in, mm-hmm. in the email, we we talked about uh, a laser dot, which is a laser training cartridge that we sell. And we talked about the math on how less expensive it is than actual nine millimeter ammo right now. Okay. So we, we, we brought it full circle. We, we absolutely delivered on the headline. The headline is, do you shoot nine millimeter right now? And then we provided email copy that's absolutely relevant to that question. So that's, that's the point is it's okay to write the most ridiculous ridiculously awesome, effective headline you want. And it's not bad or clickbait if, as long as you deliver on the headline, as long as you actually provide the content that's co- co- congruent with what you say. And I can honestly say, I saw that email come across and I clicked on it to see what, what it was about. Now I didn't need the nine millimeter cartridge. So it went into the trash bin, but to your point, I clicked on it and I ended up being one of those, uh, you know, what 10% we said, of uh, people that click on it. And then, you know, Maybe I would have been one of those people that would have bought if I didn't have, have something like that already. So that's, right. yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you, very. You didn't convert, but we got your attention. Which, yeah, exactly. And next time you send it this week, I'll be doing the same thing probably, you know, 
as long as there's a good a good uh, headline to go along and get my attention and say, e okay, I'm going to take a look real fast. Yep. Today's email that went out to our email list, the subject line was 279 years ago today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to, I won't spoil it, but I'm guessing most of you who are listening to this right now, you would have opened that email. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, headlines matter for sure. Uh, I think that's, that's really critical. Uh, I'll give you one other piece of context. I think that one, one thing that we struggle with as fireman instructors is figuring out how to pitch things in class. None of us want to be a, a, car, a used car salesman. We don't want our students to come to our class and have a, an experience where they're going to walk out and they're going to say, man, don't take a class from Jacob. That dude, the whole class is a bunch of sales pitches. He talks about something and then he tells you to go buy something. And he does that for X hours. Like no one, like that would, I don't want to be that guy. None mm-hmm. of us want to be that, that person who, you know, someone thinks they're going to get one thing and then we're, we're just pitching them to buy stuff the whole class long. So I think that figuring out how to uh, you know, interact with a student in a way that's appropriate and professional, but yet still maximizes the opportunity for that revenue really matters. So I will, I will provide uh, a couple of tidbits that we have found through thousands of iterations of data to probably be good advice relative to pitching an affiliate offer in that context. Um, first, we have found that one good solid sales pitch per two to three hours block of instruction is about as much as you can get away with effectively. So if you teach a five-hour classroom class, then you take students out on the range for a couple hours, kind of your average eight-hour basic pistol concealed carry class in, in a lot of places in this country, then you're in the classroom for five hours. You probably can get away with about two strong sales pitches. Maybe one, you know, the first first half of the class before the break, and then another one after that break, you know, toward the end of that class. That's about as much as you can do without starting to get people to say, this is not what I signed up for. Um, so that's that's one, like, just little piece of data. The second piece of data, the best pitch is one you actually believe in. The best affiliate marketers are people who are pr- promoting an offer, uh, a product, a good, a service that they believe in right? So let's say, for example, it's a holster, just for something that anybody listening to this could relate to. If I stand up at the class and I hold up 12 holsters and I say, this one sucks for this and this one's okay, and the blah, but I use this one. This one is the best holster since sliced bread and it's amazing and it'll change your life and this is why. Um, it's, you know, I carry it every day. This is my gross one that's been, you know, that I've been using for the last three years and it, you know, it's actually a pretty good deal and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and I actually have some here, you know, if you want to buy one after the class, if not like on your handout, there are materials I've provided you circle right now, that link, uh, that I've given you. Cause that's you, you, you know, I strongly recommend this product. That's pretty effective, right? That, that works really well because you've said, I use it. I believe in it. Here's why it's good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you got to promote things that, that really matter to you. Um, third, because you maybe only have room in the class for, you know, one or two sales pitches, maybe a third, you know, depending on how long your class is and things like that, that, that people can really tolerate. Um, you got to figure out uh, what I would call uh, follow-up, a follow-up sequence. A good instructor should be following up with their students anyway, right? Like, 
put aside all marketing, money, and business-related things for a minute. And let's just talk about taking care of our students. Shouldn't a good instructor have some degree of follow-up with a student? Let's say it was a concealed carry class. Hey, student name, thanks for taking my class for, you know, two days ago. Really glad to have you in my class. Uh, as I mentioned, here's an email with some resources about how to apply for your permit, uh, as well as a reminder to check out my defensive pistol, you know, one class, which I teach quite often. Click here now to check out the schedule. Like that, that if you're not doing that, like you're really foolish because that's easy to set up. You only have to do it once and then it's automated. All you got to do is make sure that you dump in your student's contact info and set it on the schedule. So in that follow-up, you got to figure out a follow-up sequence that also helps you to push other products. At consultcare.com, we sell like 600 and something products. It's ridiculous. You know, it's a very large percentage. Um, there's a small number of those that we're very focused on, both because we think they're they're good, you know, high value, important thing for a gun owner to have, because they're good for us to sell in terms of profit and, and growing our business, uh, et cetera. So we really hone in on those core offers, and we have a very specific, detailed, dialed-in six-day follow-up sequence to a class. Someone takes a class, boom, they get an, they get an email on class day, and that email doesn't really have any you know offers in it. It's like, hey, you know, here's where you can click to re- to write a review. Uh, slash testimonial for your instructor. Um, here's some reminders about you know other class-related things. Here's some resources that a lot of people need after this class. Have a good day. And then you know, 24 hours later on, on what we would call day two, right? Or day one, if you, depending on how you measure this. Boom, another email. Hey, thanks for taking the class yesterday as promised. You know, and hopefully you're, you're warning students they're going to get these emails. So then you can say as promised. And again, you're, you're providing some resources, some real value. If you're not creating value for people, then they, they'll never buy anything from you, right? So you got to create real value and include whatever you think might be an appropriate affiliate offer or some product that you yourself sell. Um, so yeah, I think, I think those are some, some core things relative to pitching in a classroom style setting. You know, one one pitch per two to three hours is about the most people can really tolerate, at least a good, strong, heavy pitch. Providing people with a way to purchase outside of the class, you know, putting links and materials and stuff in people's hands when they walk out the door, uh, making sure you're not pitching anything you don't believe in and, and, and making that very clear. And then having some sort of follow-up sequence for students. That's those are those are keys for you know students that you're seeing face to face. That's yeah. I mean, that's, there's some great, great stuff there. I've been uh, taking some notes here and uh, be uh, adding that to my process of uh, doing things uh, because probably, um, you know, there's probably one, you know, two or three things I could, I could be changing in what I'm doing and maybe improve my uh, retention rate on students or at least getting them maybe do a little more of the affiliate sales. So that's great. Yep. Uh, one last thought Rob for you. And then uh, I th- I don't know that I'll have much more to add unless you have questions for me. One thing I think instructors could do that they don't do that would be easy. I love easy. I love things I can just set up once and I don't have to think about it is you could create an online store. That's not an online store. So for example, let's imagine I'm in, I'm in the classroom, I'm on the range with my students and I, and some topic of some product comes up and I say, Oh yeah, I'd love the blah, blah. It's amazing. Life-changing, whatever. Um, It's in, it's on, it's on my website in the online store. And you don't have to call it an online store. You could also call it my uh, my recommended products page. Uh, you know, but if you're if you're always telling students in every class and every situation and every every time you're on the range with people, if you're always telling people on my website I got my an online store or I have a recommended products page, that might be uh, even a better thing to call it. And then you obviously then do that. You have a page on your site. 
that you know you can format it however you want. I've seen some instructors who they'll just do it by like just a list, like bullet point style. Here's a list of products that we endorse. You know, here it is. I see others who make it look like an online store, but it, when someone clicks on a button to learn more about a product, instead of opening up a product page, it just redirects them off to some third-party website that you know where where the affiliate arrangement has been set up. Right. So there's a lot of different methodologies, but if you're not doing that, you're crazy. Like that takes very little pain to mm-hmm. set that up once, just create like, Hey, here's a list of products we think are really, really awesome. And to, you know, why, why would, cause here's what's going to happen. <laughs> 95% of your students, uh, two days later, three days later, a week later, when they think about that thing, what was that holster Rob was talking about? Or what was that range bag that I saw Rob had at the range the other day when I took that class from him? Or, you know, what was that thing that he was, it was some sort of training tool that he was talking about when, you know, when we had that break between that, you know, the, when we were loading our mags, you know, they, they're not going to remember. They don't remember any of that stuff, but you know what they might remember? Rob told me that all of the stuff he recommends is on his website. Mm-hmm. That they'll remember. And there they can go. They can click on that page. They can pull up all the recommended products that Rob Beckman thinks are, you know, the the, the best things in sliced bread. And they're oh, yeah, that's it. That's what Rob was talking about. Awesome. Click. Right. So I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't have a page on your website with all the products you recommend. And mm-hmm. and by the way, you might recommend some products you can't get an affiliate commission on. Right. Like I think this product is amazing and there's no way for me to make money on it. The company who sells it won't will refuses to have an affiliate program and pay me. Put it on that web page anyway. Right. And and you know, because because you're doing your, your students a service by doing so. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll come back and I'll yeah. I, yeah, I've got the recommended products page on my website also. And the one thing that makes it really easy, I think, is it's stuff I'm already using. So right. I'm go I'm going along copying the links of where I've got it, you know, set up the affiliate accounts with those companies. And then if somebody goes along and, you know, likes my, you know, my lead wipes, like my gun cleaning wipes, my uh, knee pads, um, you know, all those different kinds of things, they can go to it. And yeah, I got the po- possibility of making a uh, commission if, if they're the ones that actually right. buy it, but at and least it's there and, they, and they, I get credit for it. Right. It, it, we what we do on our end is not with every product, but oftentimes if we if we feel really strong about a product, we know we're going to push it a lot, promote it a lot, you know, talk about it, blog about it, whatever, and we can't get an affiliate deal with that company, which happens all the time. Um, we will track. We'll use a trackable link, and then maybe that's a little outside the scope of this podcast, but we will use a trackable link so we can keep track of how many times it gets clicked on on our website. Because at some point I'm going to see that company at a trade show or shot show or something. I'm going to say, Hey, you know, why don't you have an affiliate program? Oh yeah. We never gotten around to it. And I'll be able to say, you know, did you know, based on my, my report right here on my website, I've sent you 1,223 clicks in the last 12 months. I haven't gotten paid for any of them. Like that's just goodwill. That's just like me trying to do you, do you a solid bro. Cause I like your product. Mm-hmm. That, that could be the thing for them to be like, Oh, no kidding. Crap. Maybe we should get an affiliate program or at very least they might give me a pat on the back and say, you know, can I, can I give you a free product? Yeah. Who knows what that might lead to, but, uh, why, you know, I think tracking those clicks is also pretty wise. Well, that's great. I think, uh, being very eye opening, uh, and I've been writing feverishly as you've been uh, describing all this stuff, uh, some things I'm going to try, but Hey, we can't go on forever about this. Um, we've got, a, another, uh, part two of this uh, conversation coming up, but before we get to that, can you name a instructor or a book that you would recommend other instructors, uh, you know, check out? Yeah, I'm going to do something kind of non-traditional here. 
uh, and I'm going to recommend a book called First Freedom, spelled out F-I-R-S-T by David Harsani. I think is how you say his name. First Freedom was published in yeah, maybe 2018 or 2019, so it's a relatively newer book. And it's a, it, I think the subtitle is something like America's Enduring History with the Gun. And so this is a, this is a history book. Um, it basically is the history of guns in America. So chapter one is going to start you in China with the invention of black powder. And very quickly, it's going to bring you into the U.S. It's going to talk about the uh, colonization of America. It's going to talk about the Revolutionary War. It's going to take you all the way through all the various conflicts. And, you know, you're, you're going to learn about the major um, innovations in guns. You're going to learn about uh, good old Thompson, you know, the Tommy machine gun. You're going to mm-hmm. learn all about, you know, John Moses Browning. You have to put my hand on my heart when I say his name. <laughs> um, you're going to, you know, you're going to learn about uh, the inventions and, and the the big things that changed um the guns over time. So, so in some ways it's a, it's a gun history book, but much more importantly, it's a book about the, the impact that the gun had on American history. And I think that this changes things. It did for me. It changed things for me because it went from like, love the second amendment. It's part of our constitution, whatever, but it took me to an understanding of how American culture and gun culture are intertwined. They are in many ways, one in the same. And to not understand that is to not understand what it means to be a patriot of America. So I think during you know this this current you know crisis of sorts that we're all dealing with, and the political strife that's out there, and what we're likely to see coming up in uh, in the House and the Senate and other places uh, at state and national level in the upcoming several years, I think it's it's important for all of us who want to protect the Second Amendment to understand the history of guns in America and how it's part of our culture and who we are. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely one that uh, we have not heard about before. So put that to the recommended reading list for all the instructors and Jacob, where can people find more information about you and contact you if they uh, want to you know, have a little marketing advice. So concealedcarry.com is obviously our brand and uh, I do publish things there on occasion. Uh, on occasion, I um, participate on the Concealed Carry podcast, this podcast as well. And I think that I do have a personal website. It's jacobspaulson.com. If anyone really cares to go read my personal ramblings, I do occasionally write marketing related things there as well. Okay, great. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We have a few requests for our loyal listeners. Share this episode on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and encourage others to listen, subscribe, give ideas, new episodes, suggestions on guests to have or feedback. Please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off. Remember, we bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.